0: Hello, Canada, and welcome to another episode of Canadian Common Sense.
1: This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony.
0: Well, hello, Canada. It's Tony here in Saskatchewan.
1: And Lewis, out here in beautiful BC. And how are you, my friend? Busy, very busy. It's uh, kind of strange because for my business, um, things have kind of returned to normal um, in terms of call volume oh. and, and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm still way behind compared to most years in terms of uh, uh bookings and 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 that but it's the in the past week uh you know we've we've increased uh our bookings by two full months and uh i'm i've just got lots and lots of uh calls every day so yeah it's it's really looking good for us right now it's i I know that that is not the case for most businesses and uh i don't even want to pretend that it is um because, because uh, I know it's it's really really rough out there for most businesses right now, and uh, so and I and I mean you heard in my rant earlier this week uh, that like fifty percent of BC's small businesses may not reopen.
0: Yeah, no, I'd heard that, and actually uh, another stat I'd heard on the weekend was that eighty percent of small businesses across Canada are either. Closed or partially closed right now, so I thought, "Wow, oh man, that that fifty percent number is no surprise."
1: Yeah, no, not at all. And when you consider that the vast majority of restaurants, uh, I mean, they have a hard time making it as it is. Uh, oh and, yeah, and they work; uh, they operate on such s- slim margins that something like this is just going to kill most of them. Like, I, I don't know how. Uh, other than big chain restaurants uh, i i just don't see how these little family owned restaurants are going to even open up again
0: yeah no understood I, I totally agree with that like even the franchisees in those big chains are going to have a hard time cuz they basically are your little mom and pop restaurants so
1: that's true enough i mean there there are i was thinking more in the terms of restaurants like the keg or montanas or uh Right, uh, cactus club, you know uh, those kinds of restaurants where you know they're they're corporate owned. Uh, yeah, but but if but I'm talking about like these little ones, like just the restaurants in my in my in my town here. Like I, I don't know how many of them are even gonna make it through this. I mean, some of them are offering takeout, but uh, they can't survive on that.
0: No, exactly, so yeah, I mean they've uh, but there is some light at the end of the tunnel on that, and actually that'll be our second topic tonight is that Saskatchewan is uh about to be open for business again. I heard that, yeah, and um, well, actually, well, first, we'll jump into our our usual Covid nineteen update here, so just before the show aired, we have forty eight thousand five hundred reported cases in Canada and two thousand seven hundred and seven fatalities. Yeah. And it's 18,268 recovered, so we're dealing with 26,968 active cases right now when you take away the, the fatalities and whatnot. So our fatality rate is right around 2%, so we're actually doing fairly well as a country. But as we've said so many times on this show, what's not being factored in and can't be factored in is the number of people who have not been tested but had the virus, felt nothing, and moved on. So... This fatality rate is going to be much, much, much lower than two percent,
1: and not even just people who uh, may not have felt something. But I mean, you talk to anybody who has had all the symptoms, but because they didn't need to be hospitalized or, or they or they were told not to go to the hospital, they've never been tested.
0: Right. So yeah,
1: I mean, like they. Like there's people and I'm, and, and honestly, like we're in our own home last, uh, yesterday, we were talking about this and my daughter said, you know, back in February, I was really sick. And I said, yeah, I forgot about that. She, she missed over a week of school. She had a hard time breathing. Uh, she was, she had a dry persistent cough that wouldn't stop and the only way that she could that she felt comfortable breathing was in a hot bath or or a steaming hot shower and interesting so she had like we went through the list of of uh, uh of uh, uh symptoms and she had them all oh yeah and, and we, it didn't even occur to us until yesterday that back in february she was that sick and we thought man she probably had it and the rest of us were exposed to it so and you're gonna have thousands of cases like that or even tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of cases like that across the country where right. where you don't even you may so one of your family members may have been sick before any of this before the WHO decided that, yes, it can be transmitted from person to person. Um, and you may have already had it and not even known it, but you were sick. Or, like they said, between 60 and 70% of uh, people who contract coronavirus are asymptomatic. They, they don't even show any symptoms. So if you take, and I think they said they estimate about, what, 10 times, the number that have actually tested positive 10 times that are uh, people who have had symptoms, but were never tested. And then you've got, you know, if you fact- figure that out and then you go, well, and then 70% more than that didn't even have symptoms. So when you factor all that in together, it's like, we're at like 0.11%.
0: Oh Yeah which leads me to the next thing we want to talk about. And this is something that you had brought up to me on the weekend. And we or at least we had talked about it anyway, is who are the real victims of this pandemic? And number one is our seniors. And number two is spouses. Domestic violence is way up. Um, Now I'm going to read a couple of statistics here. And of course, whenever you're dealing with numbers, It's always reported cases of domestic violence. And as we all know, the vast majority of domestic violence incidents don't get reported. So when you hear that there is a 300% increase in domestic violence reports in China and a 60% increase in the United States, you know it's bad. And what really bothers me is I couldn't find numbers for Canada all i could find when i'm researching canadian media is that domestic violence is on the rise due to covid 19 and of course my general distrust for the mainstream media just tells me that it's got to be bad because they won't put a number to it
1: yeah and the thing that really bothers me about canada is we seem to think that everything should be kept secret um and i don't know if that is because the government thinks that it's uh, protecting the public from from panicking or is it because they're protecting themselves from public uh, outcry and honestly I think it's more the latter I would agree uh, but because I mean at what point do we say lives of people getting li- like whose lives matter more right is basically what I'm I'm thinking is a question that needs to be asked because, because we're seeing a dramatic increase in domestic violence. We're seeing a dramatic increase in uh, suicides. We're seeing a a dramatic uh, increase in drug abuse. And so do those people's lives matter less than those who may catch coronavirus? Or is this one of those things where that's just a, a, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like a a side effect, I guess, an acceptable risk to this shutdown.
0: Collateral damage. There we go.
1: Collateral damage. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. Is it is is this like collateral damage that 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 we're going to consider acceptable? Like, because if we're saving, if we're saving a thousand lives by shutting everything down, but we have two thousand people who commit suicide or die in, from overdose. Um. Yeah. It, no.
0: See, and this is where I like to use the left's own argument against them, because whenever the left tries to bring in some kind of draconian law that restricts our freedoms even more, and the argument they'll use is if it saves even one life, it's worth it, or if it stops even one accident, it's worth it. So now we have to ask our leftist friends, okay, well, you know, we've we've managed to save a couple of lives with – through the coronavirus due to lockdown, but now we've killed tens of thousands as a result. So, uh, was it worth it? Not to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it just seems like, and when I say that, I always counter with, well, then I guess you better turn in your driver's license. Yeah. Because that will say, because if everybody just stopped driving, we would save some we would save a whole bunch of lives we'd save a lot more lives than we are saving right now by locking everybody down or, or from coronavirus oh exactly
0: and uh so i mean that, like you're right to ask who the real victims are because really it's i mean the coronavirus is bad i don't want to minimize the no. the, the virus so, yes it is a pandemic yes it's highly contagious but it's not nearly as lethal as what we were told that it's going to be. And what's really bothering me is our seniors' homes. And of course, coronavirus is not the only thing that ravages our seniors' homes. And I read an article which infuriated me. It's in the Toronto Sun, I believe. And it it has cited different reports and commissions going back into the 1960s saying that, you know, we need to improve seniors' care. We need to improve our seniors' homes. And, it reminded me of the endless number of health care commissions that go out, like the Romano Commission, for example, that go around and spend a few million dollars of a budget just to say everything is fine, nothing to see here. And then it takes a pandemic like this to ravage our seniors' homes, and then you see exactly how poor the care was in the first place. And you got the bloody army in there now running seniors' homes in Ontario and Quebec because there's nobody knows no one there to do it then it's uh it's it's embarrassing to us as a country
1: yeah absolutely and and i mean the but here's the biggest problem that i think some of these care homes faced was uh mass walk-offs
0: oh yeah like that one you were telling me about was that in quebec where they just the whole staff walked away ontario was ontario okay
1: yeah yeah, no, and I mean that—that—that's to me, is criminal. That's abandonment. And and I mean, when you sign up to be in healthcare, dealing with uh, seniors who are v- extremely vulnerable, you are signing up. You're, you're going to be dealing with infectious diseases. You that that that's a given. And like we like we said in a past show, if you that walking away from your job like that. When you are in a uh, a job that you are going to be exposed to different illnesses and stuff, doing that is is akin to a firefighter arriving at a fire and going, "Oh, this fire is too big. I'm out of here." Yeah, exactly.
0: I mean they they're they're negligent in their duties, is what they are, and they uh and as like as you had said, they ought to be charged with negligence.
1: Absolutely.
0: No, it's ridiculous. So uh, anyway, we got a bit of a shorter show tonight, so we'll move on from that one. Um, yeah. I, I want to talk a little bit about Saskatchewan being open for business because that's uh, quite sure. exciting. Saskatchewan is going to be the first jurisdiction in, in Canada to reopen. I realize that British Columbia never really closed down to the same degree as anybody else. So yeah. uh, nice to see you guys got it right out there on the West Coast. But, yeah, as-
1: because really, I mean, our numbers, like our our – our numbers are not a whole lot different than anybody else's, and we didn't we didn't go into complete lockdown.
0: Yeah, no, and that that's fantastic. And uh, Saskatchewan actually, they said they got their their fifth fatality from coronavirus today, but they're not certain that. Uh, and I, actually, here this is a surprise. The uh, hospital in North Battleford, where this uh, this this gentleman passed, had said that they... Are not willing to cite coronavirus as the cause of death because he had pre-existing underlying conditions. And I was like, "What the heck?" Does someone else listen to us?
1: Right. <laughs> more, more people should be. I mean, we do have good viewers, listenership, but man, people in government—if you are listening to us, good on you, because you see, we seem to be getting proven right a lot
0: <laughs> yeah exactly so i was uh sorry for the sidebar canada but just yeah. it was a uh, amazing when i heard that and then you know then say that yeah they weren't willing to uh pin it on coronavirus quite yet i was like damn here we go again
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, so en- I mean, anyways you- may f-
0: go sorry go ahead
1: yeah so i mean saskatchewan is going to be reopening in stages
0: correct So May 4th is going to be phase one of a five-phase plan. So May 4th is going to be some basic medical services reopening, our dentist office, chiropractic, physiotherapy, and our golf courses will be open May 15th. And May 19th will be the start of phase two, and that's where personal services uh, will be opened back up, and that is like our hairdressers, acupuncture, tattooists, and the phase 3 4 and 5 are all to be determined our gathering sizes are still limited to 10 people and they haven't put a date on phase 3 when they'll start to open up you know more services because they want to see how the first two phases go but they're really like for the golf courses they've really restricted them that instead of uh, 7 minute tee times you're actually going to be split 20 minutes now so uh, So for spacing purposes, and if they rent a golf cart, you can only have one person to a cart unless you're two people who live in the same home, then you can share a golf cart. So they're, uh, they're taking a very cautious approach and I'm not opposed to that. I'm just glad that uh, some people can get back to work because it's certainly uh, it's, I mean, even the last couple of weeks, I've seen more traffic out on the streets when I've been driving around. So I think people are starting to get a little, little cabin fever anyway. So
1: Yeah, and I mean, out here the golf course is reopened uh, a week ago. Oh, good. And uh, and they're following. Um, they actually, and this is how I think it should be. They actually came up with their own COVID nineteen protocols.
0: Exactly so how it I, should be.
1: It was they were not forced by the government to have expanded tee times. They did that themselves. Um. So yeah, the the golf courses out here they they got together and they came up with uh, numbers like they came up with their own protocols and reopened on their own, and uh, and I think that's the way it should be. I think I think all businesses, in fact, like like I and I don't know if I've said this on the show before, but if I owned a clothing store or a shoe store, I would be really pissed off right now that Walmart is allowed to sell clothing and shoes, but. I'm not
0: exactly, yeah. And that's what I never, I didn't get right from the start. And that's actually has come up on talk radio out here as well, saying, yeah, I mean, okay, so, uh, like a clothing stores out here, they're not, they're part of, uh, I think they're part of phase two when yeah, full, when more retail opens up. But you're right. So they've been sitting for two and a half months closed. And then, exactly. Well, how come Walmart can sell clothes, but yet Ricky's can't? And, yeah. You know, it's it's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, it's like I got my employees need to. Uh, they like a couple of them wanted to buy new steel toe boots, but Marks Work Warehouse is closed. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So, what are they supposed to do? So, I mean, like this is there's there was this this whole lockdown was not well thought out, and um, I think. There's a lot of lessons to be learned from what we've done and what we've gone through. Uh, there's, I mean, we're not done yet. I mean, BC has announced that they're going to be they're going to be putting forth their reopening plan soon, um, and they said restaurants could be open up again by middle of May. Oh, good. Uh, They, I know Quebec and Ontario are both saying that they're going to be putting their reopening plans uh, forward. I haven't heard anything about Alberta yet, but um, so I mean, it's just, I know, I know that this, the people have had loved ones die and I feel for them, but at the same time, we've got other innocent people that are dying who shouldn't be dying and not and not because, and and they're not dying because of the virus, but they're dying because of the actions the government took in response to the virus.
0: Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think that Jason Kenney in Alberta has, has started to recognize that he uh, on the weekend had announced that there, he he's going to be looking at a plan to open up the economy in Alberta again, but he said that uh, he wants Justin. Let me back up. Justin Trudeau, of course, is now, you know, behind the curve because, you know, Scott Moe and Blaine Higgs and whatnot, premiers decided to go on their own to reopen their economies. And Justin Trudeau, in his daily condescension today and on Friday, was also saying that, well, we know we need a coordinated response and the, the federal government, you know, should be involved. And Jason Kenney on the weekend just basically said, um, no, you can just shove off, and we'll do it on our own. And yeah,
1: I, I think Trudeau is feeling irrelevant.
0: Well, he is irrelevant, but but we've known that for years. So. <laughs> yeah, but I
1: but I think I think he's feeling like he is irrelevant at this point, and uh, and honestly, he should be because this is a jurisdiction by jurisdiction decision that has to be made. It should not be made at the federal level level because. Any th- decisions made at the federal level will apply uh, to every jurisdiction, whether they need it or not. And so this should be up to the premiers. And and Trudeau should be uh, irrelevant and on the back burner. Yeah, and that was
0: kind of the point Jason Kenney had made, too. He said that... You know, the situation in Saskatchewan, for example, is much different than the situation in Ontario. And he said even in Alberta, the majority of the, the problems they're having with the virus is in Calgary. So he said, you know, perhaps they'll be able to open up businesses in Edmonton and northern Alberta before they end up opening in Calgary. He said and yeah. he wants the flexibility to, to do that.
1: So, but yeah, uh, and but, but at the same time, Alberta, I mean, what businesses are there going to be left anyway? I mean, oil oil is like negative value. Um, They they don't have so there's no oil industry left almost. Um, And now Fort McMurray is flooding, and it's like they and they just shut down most of the industry they did have left. And so many of those small businesses are just saying, "Forget it, we're not reopening." There isn't going to be much of an economy left in Alberta after this.
0: No, and Jason Kenny even said that he can see twenty-five percent unemployment for the rest of this year. And I thought, man, that's uh, that's huge. But it's actually it, it's believable because everything you've just said, like there's there's really nothing left anymore. Yeah, but no, uh,
1: unfortunately, uh, Alberta is an economic wasteland at the moment. It
0: is. I mean, I uh, I have faith that they eventually will bounce back, but I think this is going to be a very tough one. Um, I know that I grew up in Alberta through the 1980s after Trudeau Sr. brought in the national energy policy. And, I mean, that devastated the province for a decade. So, yeah. I, see, I see, you know, the damage being done by, well, the hits to the oil industry. And then, I mean, coronavirus was just the icing on the cake. So, I mean, I see probably another decade of darkness for Alberta ahead.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, it's, yeah, but it, but it's but it's true. I, I think you're right.
0: Yeah, no, it is sad. And uh, but on a positive note, uh, Brian Pallister, Premier of Manitoba, has announced that he will be revealing his plan to reopen Manitoba's economy. Um, same to Blaine with Blaine Higgs in New Brunswick. So, oh, good. So yeah, so at least uh, things are starting to move now. And of course, the cynic in me. Heard the names K okay, Blaine Higgs, Brian Pallister, Scott Moe, so all conservative right leaning premiers are the first to open their provincial economies back up. Yeah. Just a little bit of common sense as far as I'm concerned. So uh I'm yeah. not surprised by that move. And I uh and I will I'll probably say this for years to come. I'm actually really impressed with British Columbia and uh, your socialist Premier Horgan for actually getting it right. And you gave him a a lot of credit that he actually has played this really well.
1: He has. I mean, he's, he's really, uh, I mean, whether you agree or disagree with completely, well, well, shutting down a large portion of the, of the economy. Um, I think that he, that, that the BC NDP actually struck the struck a, the best balance of any of the provinces, um, by by allowing us to stay like allowing non-essential businesses to stay open as long as we kept uh, uh, social distancing and and uh, hand washing and all of that kind of stuff as as part of our daily protocols, and uh and and they uh, and so a lot of people were able to stay working. Um, so, I mean, I, I think they did probably the best job of any of the provinces in Canada. And it it pains me to say that because they are NDP and they typically um, are anti-business. And in this case, they were fairly pro-business.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree with, with everything you just said. Like I, uh, I obviously disagree with John Horgan on his politics and I definitely disagree with his thoughts about pipelines, for example, but, but we've never been shy on this show about giving credit where it is due. And I mean, he certainly deserves credit for a job well done on this particular file anyway.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you, like you said, we've, we've always said that whether we like a politician or their policies or not, if they do something worth, uh, if they've done something right, we will give them credit for it. And that's what I'm doing.
0: Yeah, no, rightfully so. Yeah. So I know time is limited here. I want to touch on one more topic briefly, and that is Mr. Derek Sloan. Now, ninety percent of our listeners will say Derek who? And really you kinda of have to Google him because he's a backbench conservative MP from Ontario who happens to be running for the Conservative Party leadership.
1: Yeah. And and that, that in itself is a head-scratcher, but yeah. Anyway.
0: <laughs> yes, it really is. And um, so the, that's the only reason he's in the news is because he's running for leadership. And of course, the media, who are mostly leftist activists, have painted him as a racist for daring to criticize Theresa Tam, who is Canada's chief medical health officer. And I actually have to come to Mr. Sloan's defense, and to be perfectly honest, I think the guy's a wingnut and uh, like I read some of the emails he sent out and read some of the ideas he has for the party leadership. And yeah, I think he's an absolute wingnut, but I don't think he's a racist. And here I'll paraphrase what he had said. And uh, for those who don't know, Teresa Tam, by the way, was born in Hong Kong. So she, she is of Asian descent and what Derek Sloan said, said, he was criticizing Teresa Tam because she has walked in lockstep with with the World Health Organization pretty much from the start. And Canada still is actually taking direction from the WHO. And so, what Derek Derek Sloan said was he was criticizing the World Health Organization for being a puppet of China. And his statement was, is is Dr. Tam working for China or working for Canada? And then he was called a racist for that. And I thought... How do you connect those dots?
1: Well, because Teresa Tam is Chinese,
0: right? So like, I, uh...
1: I, I'm being sarcastic, obviously. Yeah, but like <laughs> it's but because I, yeah, I agree with you that Sloan is a wingnut, and I believe he is one of the those. Uh, he is part of the. Like Christian fundamentalists in in the party, right? Yeah, yeah. So he, yeah, and so he's he and I don't agree on a lot, um, but he's he is uh, uh, pretty crazy, and I don't agree with him on a lot. But on this, I cannot criticize him. He what he said, I mean, she could have been a white woman from uh manitoba and he he likely would have asked the same question well
0: exactly yeah and i mean full disclosure i mean i uh i am a christian but i still think that mr sloan is way the heck out in left field like i uh i think our our faith in god is about all him and i have in common because i i think he's nuts i really do like they're the yeah but yeah like you say on this one one issue I'm with him because he said nothing that anybody else wouldn't say in frustration. And I know that he said it to get a reaction, but this is not the reaction he deserves.
1: No, exactly. And honestly, I question whether Theresa Tam's allegiance is with Canada or with the WHO, not with China, but with the WHO. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and because I'm, I'm, really frustrated with her and I'm and I'm angry at the WHO. I and in one of my rants last week I said the WHO has to go. I mean what they've done, they openly lied to the world. They lied to the world about what was going on in China because China uh, was giving them the information. And they never questioned any of it. Whether China is pulling the strings, which I do believe they are. I think. I think the WHO is is, is spreading Chinese propaganda, uh, purposefully and knowingly. And the WHO, uh, the head of the WHO, even failed to recognize the existence of Taiwan as a state as its own country, because China claims it as part of china yep even though it is its own country and he wouldn't even recognize taiwan as a country and he's not even chinese he's from africa yeah (laughs) so you you tell me if china's pulling the strings or not i think they are
0: well i mean it's certainly very easy to make that case isn't it i mean he wouldn't uh admit that there was human to human transmission of the virus until it was, you know, until he couldn't walk away from it anymore. So.
1: Yeah. It's like the WHO wouldn't even admit that until the rest of the world already knew.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and the, the Trudeau government, ever since he was elected in 2015 has always been one to, to kiss the hind end of the UN. So I'm not surprised that the government is, is trying to back the, the WHO and just walking in lockstep with the WHO recommendations. Yeah. But what's really unfortunate is that I, 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 well, I want to say, I hope I can't say, I think I hope that average Canadians at least understand that, you know what, we've actually got a pretty good thing going on our own and we probably don't need the WHO is help.
1: No, we don't. I mean, if you look at what the WHO was telling us, I mean, l- every step of the way, it was a lie. Yeah. Every step of the way. And that's why I don't even know if I trust what they're saying now. I mean, they've, they lied every step of the way. And I mean, once they admitted that human-to-human contact uh, transmitted the disease... They said, "Oh, don't shake hands anymore, but you can fist bump." <laughs> yep, I know. Uh... Are you, are you <laughs> kidding me? You're still touching hands. Yep. God, like, like this is. Oh, I'm so. You can tell I'm, I'm frustrated. Very frustrated.
0: Well, what bugs and me Teresa too is Tam, that
1: Teresa Tam frustrates me because she just parrots whatever the WHO says, and. Uh, and, and her credibility is shot.
0: Well, it is. And the federal government is, is quickly losing credibility on this issue too. When they talked about, and Mr. Trudeau was last week, he was announcing, oh, we've got more personal protective equipment on its way. We've got a order from China. And then we got stiffed. We got stiffed. There was two planes that were supposed to load the cargo. They came home empty because either, either somebody else, Bought the PPE from under us, or it just wasn't made, and then we yeah. did get some stuff that was subpar, so it was useless. And yet, still, they want to keep sourcing more from China. It's like, okay, you know what? Industry yeah. in Canada is way ahead of you. They gave up, and then we're making our own here. So, why don't you just yeah. stick your thumb to your nose to China and keep making our own? Like, it's I don't, I don't, I just don't get it. I don't get why Mr. Trudeau has got such
1: a thing for China. Yeah, I don't get it either because I at this point I want to cut all economic ties with China. Yeah. Totally. And I think and I think we should, and I think everybody should. I think everybody should treat China like they're a pariah.
0: Well well they are a pariah. And I mean there there are some companies that are moving their manufacturing back to North America. And good. good. I mean we, we need that for not just for our own security but
1: Just for the recovery, we're going to need those jobs. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I'm Mm -hmm. all I'm all for that. Yeah. Well, I got one one more thing I want to talk about. I know that like my, we're actually supposed to be wrapping up right now, but I just wanted to quickly touch on uh, Justin Trudeau and his gun control um, power grab here over because of the shooting uh, out in uh, uh, Nova Uh, Scotia. Yeah. And. I mean, okay, first of all, the shooter, we have since found out, was prohibited from owning weapons. That's
0: correct. He had an assault charge in 2002 and has a lifetime ban.
1: Yeah. And we have also since found out that the guns that he used uh, were illegally obtained and were likely smuggled in from the U.S.,
0: Yep, but yet making the legal gun owners the criminals is going to solve all that somehow.
1: Yeah. So, so here's here's my take on this. Our existing gun control laws worked. Yeah. Good. C- they yeah. kept they kept a man who shouldn't be owning guns from legally purchasing guns. They worked. They did what they were supposed to do. The fact that he ended up with guns is not the fault of legal gun owners. It is not the fault of not having a registry. It is not the fault of the firearms uh, stores. Because he did not get his guns legally in Canada from a Canadian store.
0: Yeah, that's right. No, that, that's actually a a, a good point. Uh, the system worked, so you're yeah. right. Why uh, why the, tinker the, with it?
1: The, the The system that broke down was our border control,
0: which <laughs> is still broken. So,
1: yeah. So that so he because he got his guns illegally from uh, someone who smuggled them in from the U.S. So. Really? Our gun our 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 gun control laws worked, but our border security didn't.
0: Yeah. Well that's a good way to look at it. I hadn't actually thought of that angle, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. Our our gun laws well, I mean I've always believed they're fine the way they are anyhow, but I mean you make a good point. It's obvious they worked because, like you say, prevented him from legally purchasing firearms and he had to go through the black market and that's that, that, yeah. That's actually on the RCMP because they're in charge of border
1: security. That's right. And, but the, here's the problem is that Trudeau immediately without knowing anything about the shooter or his uh, or his uh, status for owning firearms or even what the firearm was, he immediately jumped to we're going to ban all assault weapons. Yeah. <laughs> and But here's the thing and you said this in your rant, assault weapons have been banned in canada since what 1972 74 74 1974 so what exactly what ex, what what assault weapons is it that you want to ban trudeau because because we don't have any well exactly yeah
0: like um are this you gonna... is
1: just this is just playing on the whole us thing Because in the U.S. they keep talking about banning assault-style weapons. Well, like, what's an assault-style weapon? I I don't understand that. We don't.
0: They talk banana clip. (laughs) Well, maybe yeah. And of course, they talk about banning the AR-15, and then I I laugh out loud because the RCMP "quote unquote" carbines are AR-15s. So yeah, yeah. (laughs) So you're gonna make criminals out of all the RCMP.
1: (laughs) But and honestly, AR-15s are the exact same uh rifle as a hunting rifle. It just has it just has a different uh grip setup.
0: Yeah, so it's uh, I mean it's, it's it's this is the problem when you've got somebody like Mr. Trudeau who clearly doesn't know what he's talking about on this file and on a lot of files that he spouts off about. And to people who do know what they're talking about, Trudeau just looks like that much more of an ass.
1: Unfortunately, every year in Canada, we get fewer and fewer people who know what they're talking about when it comes to guns.
0: Well, that's true. Yeah, I mean, uh, there are, I believe it's 2 million firearms owners, so we're definitely a small minority.
1: Although we have uh, what I heard was around 18 million guns in Canada. So... That's, uh, nine, wow, that's... Mil, nine, an average of nine guns per owner.
0: Wow. That's, that's interesting.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I have three.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, yeah, um, me, me as well. No, I have four. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm below
1: average. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm way below average. I gotta get with it. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly. Geez, I better Cabela's better hurry up and open back up. So.
1: <laughs> I got I to gotta get a bigger gun safe, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all well, right. Well, I think that's it for me.
0: Yeah, we'll close it on a, on a high note there, Canada. Uh, thank you all for joining us, whether you're joining us on Anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you find us. So we certainly appreciate you joining us, and we'll talk to you again soon. <laughs> so uh, until next time this is tony here in saskatchewan
1: and lewis in bc this is canadian common sense
0: with lewis and tony